Welcome everybody um, and today we're going to be talking about GDPR which is the General Data Protection Regulations. Um, I'm here with Claire who you all know and also Leah who is from Lennon's Listers in Chesham. Um, she's going to give us a little bit more insight into the legal framework of GDPR um, and then Claire's going to chat to you guys in a little bit more detail about how this affects recruiters um, and then I will talk you through a plan of action um, for how we think you should be preparing for GDPR coming into force and making sure that you're fully compliant. So without further ado, I'm going to hand it over to Leah. So the GDPR came out uh, in 2016, so it's been around for two years, uh, but there's been a transition process, so it doesn't actually come into force until the 25th of May. Um, which is the date where everything needs to be done and your processes all need to be a lot more tighter in relation to personal data. Uh, personal data includes anything where an individual can be identified. So that would include their name, email address, address, national insurance number, down to things like electronic identifiers such as IP addresses. The GDPR will replace and update the Data Protection Act, which is now 20 years old, um, and a lot of data at that time was not available online, which is why the GDPR came into place. It is uh, EU legislation uh, originally, but will not go out when Brexit eventually happens. It will continue in English law. So the main things that are changing are the reasons why you can keep personal data and um, process personal data. Um, so processing of personal data includes keeping it, storing it, using it, pulling information from it. Um, and there are six uh, bases for doing that. One of those being consent, if you've got the consent of the individual, um, another one is performance of a contract, which most um, of you will be relying on in order to provide services to that uh, individual. Um, if there's a legal obligation to have that data and use that data, uh, such as payroll, um, accounting. If it's to protect the vital interests, unlikely to be applicable, that would be for sort of to save a life. Where it's in the public interest, again, it's unlikely to be applicable in your circumstances and if it's necessary for your legitimate interests as the data controller which we may touch later but that would be relying upon your needs for that data overriding the needs of the data subject or the individual the main one that I get asked about is consent because it is changing before you could opt out now you have to actively opt in to give your consent so if you have got opt out forms for marketing databases mailing databases emails uh, mailing shots they will no longer be applicable and if you don't have consent from people on your databases it's unlikely that they should be contacted following may 25th as i said the rules regarding consent have changed and in order for consent to be valid following May 25th, it must be freely given, so it cannot be conditional on you performing the contract. 
it must be specific so for every reason you're going to be processing that data individual consent has to be given it must be informed and it must be unambiguous so it must be specific and clear and legible for all of those reading it the gdpr also gives increased rights to those individuals who you hold data for um, the right to be forgotten it's also known as a right to erasure, so having all their data removed. The right to data portability, so to have you give their data to somebody else. The right to object to processing if they are unhappy with the way that their data is being dealt with. And the right to retrieval of their data by way of a subject access request which has always been about but is slightly changing. So at the moment you can make a subject access request need to pay £10 for the information that a company holds on you and they have 40 days to respond to that. Following May 25th, can't charge for it unless it's a vexatious or very complex request and the company only has 30 days to provide that. Excellent, thank you so much. So that's a really good sort of basic coverage of GDPR and some of the key changes um, in relation to the change from the Data Protection Act. So Claire's going to take over now and she's going to talk to you in a little bit more detail about how this might affect recruiters in particular. Okay, so so under GDPR, the main data subjects that we're talking about are candidates. Clients can come into it and we might touch on that later, but really the most important people that we're talking about in regards to their personal data are candidates. So obviously in a recruitment company, you will be accessing candidate details from all sorts of areas and that's one of the first things we would recommend you do is to look at how that personal data comes into your company and make sure that you've got a legitimate processing reason for dealing with it. So candidates CVs, you might pick their details up from a trade fair or a recruitment fair it might come through linkedin it might come through a job board you might get past it from somebody else so that's the first thing that you need to identify is whose data do you hold and how much you hold of it where you hold hold it and how um, best to get people's consent to you using it on the client side it's slightly less um, onerous uh, mainly because most of the client details are not personal to that person um, so long as it's a client email address um, and their name then you wouldn't have have to get consent or use another processing method in order to work with them so the main thing that we would recommend in terms of gdpr with recruitment is you have a, a legitimate reason for processing the data in the first place so if somebody sends you a cv then okay they are going to you know you, you are going to have a legitimate reason for having that data for the time that it takes you to discover whether you want to work with that person whether they are qualified enough for the job um, that you're advertising and also whether there's any reason for you to hold on to it beyond there. If you've got a CV or data with personal or sensitive data on it, then it's, it's absolutely mandatory under GDPR that you have consent to hold that data. 
And I think what we're saying is that you might as well get consent because it's all-encompassing and will cover both that normal CV and also the CV that has extra personal data on it or sensitive data. You need to be honest with your candidates about what you are going to be doing with their data. And this is good practice, we feel. Talk to your candidate, I want to put you forward for this role or, or maybe other roles like it. We would like to keep your data um, for the next 30 days whilst this job is still open. And maybe later we might want to market to you jobs that you might be interested in the future. Do you consent yes or no? And Laura will talk about the physical way that we're planning on doing this, but that's the theory that if you get candidates to consent to you holding their data, then that will be the belt and braces, the best way of being compliant. Leah was mentioning about candidates exercising their rights under the GDPR, about being forgotten and having access to their data, and that's another very good practice point really that what there's no point whatsoever you holding candidates data if they don't want you to have it so what we were suggesting right at the beginning is to go through your database and identify those candidates that you think are going to be still looking or useful or suitable for roles and literally asking them are you okay if we hold on to your data and if they don't reply then you have to get rid of it so there are other things that we would expect you to want to be looking at. The first thing is to look at all the data that comes in, as I mentioned before. How do you collect it? What kind of data? How do we use it? Do we give it to clients? In which case, what should we be doing in terms of when we transfer that data over? Um, how does that data flow? If you're running a temp desk, for example, obviously personal data will get sent over to SSG or your, the umbrella company or the payroll company that you use. We would recommend you create a privacy policy for recruitment and um, we've got a template of that that you can obviously ask for. A lot of the candidates that you will deal with will be online and what the GDPR will be designed to stop people from doing are two things. Firstly, just trawling through the databases and putting the personal data onto your database is not going to be acceptable under GDPR. You can't just mine the job boards and put those personal data items onto your database unless you actually intend to contact them. Um, and then plan to contact them as soon as possible. So really you can't hold on to someone's data for an unlimited time. You know, if you're going to be looking at a particular role, then we would suggest 30 days, really, um, that, that they should have an opportunity to know that you've got their data. And equally, only collect the data you need and get it lawfully. So LinkedIn probably is fine. Job boards, that would be fine too. Other ways that people get candidate details is probably not correct. In the application process, we would recommend that you ask for personal data, limiting that to exactly what you need. We've seen a lot of candidate registration forms that ask for all sorts of data that really is not necessary 
um, for the for the purposes of getting a job and just ask us if you want us to have a look at your current forms be transparent in your ads and in every communication you have with your candidates so tell them tell them why you're going to be holding their data is it just to get this particular job is it to look at other jobs that might be interesting to them? Is it to market out to them or mail shot out to them? Be honest, be transparent. Is it to tell them up and coming things about what your company is doing? And we would recommend that you get consent to each and every use that you're proposing for that candidate data. You might want to look at your rejection emails. So, you know, if, you, if you've got somebody you don't want to work with or the candidate isn't accepted by your client, then you might want to send them an email and update that with we would look to keep your details for a certain amount of time and have a limit on that. Again, link to your privacy notice and let candidates know that they can delete their data at any time. A lot of people are asking us about software and it's useful, I think, to have a chat with your software provider just to make sure that you're happy that they're compliant as well. And finally, just be prepared to listen to candidates. You know, they want to access their data. Work out how you're going to get that data to them. Um, you need to delete it if you're able to, um, or restrict processing if they ask it. You need to rectify it if it's wrong, and they need to also be able to withdraw their consent to you having it. Um, there's an interesting point that Leah made as well about portability and Often, if you're running a temp operation, then at the end of one contract, obviously you've got temp data that you need to transfer to the new provider, and that obviously falls under GDPR as well. Okay, so just to wrap up then, um, we're going to have just five minutes or so on the steps that we think you should follow to make sure that you are fully compliant and ready for GDPR when it comes in on the 25th of May. So first step, as Claire's touched on there, is really to assess your data. Think about what you hold, who do you hold it on, do you need it? Um, obviously, if not, get rid of it. Um, if you do need it, you know, what is your lawful basis for processing this data and how are you going to keep it? Um, once you've identified that data that you either need to keep or that you will be processing on behalf of new candidates, then think about how you're going to obtain consent. So both Leah and Claire there have, have said and you know as we agree that consent is the best basis for processing in our opinion in your instances so how are you going to get consent from those candidates first thing to think about is your existing database so we have developed uh, a template that you can use for your existing candidates which will be linked below this webinar um, so you can download a template there or you can come and chat to us about it for new candidates that you're registering from now on again we've developed a template candidate personal data agreement that you can use for permanent candidates or applicants it's relatively easy for temps you might want to look at updating your application form or pack to include that in there as Claire says we recommend you speak to your CRM provider in the first instance because the majority of them have facilities to automate processes like these now so for example, they may be able to bulk mail out to your existing candidates with a placeholder to gain consent and enable easy filtering or deletion of those who don't give consent or who don't respond. There are other systems, uh, for example, I know Broadbean have implemented a system where they have an automated response to an incoming CV where the content is automatically requested 
and then the CV isn't stored or processed if consent isn't provided. So have a chat to your CRM provider in the first instance to see what facilities they their system provides. Next thing to think about is data security and this kind of links in well with a CRM provider. Most of you will be using um, a CRM provider that's cloud-based and it will be password protected. So the data you store there should be secure. Although it is worth confirming the additional security features that the CRM provider has in place in preparation for GDPR. Uh, some of you will still be using the old Excel spreadsheet or maybe even paper copies. Um, so really we're not recommending that that is the way to go. We would recommend that you have everything stored electronically, but if you if you do have paper copies, then think about obviously lockable cabinets, protecting those so that people who shouldn't have access don't. Um, and also think about how you would delete or destroy that data. So for example, here we have a shred all policy. So every single piece of paper, once it's finished with, goes immediately to be shredded. That kind of takes away the thought from each individual as to whether that, that piece of paper needs to be shredded. We just shred everything automatically. And it's kind of good for the environment as well because it all goes to be recycled. When you're emailing data, of course, you need to be careful, first of all, to ensure that it's going to the correct person. Email is automatically encrypted through Office 365, but when you're sending any documents containing personal data and particularly sensitive data, it's worthwhile password protecting them. So for example, if you're sending a CV to a client, you know, password protect it. Really, and this uh, kind of follows on from a conversation that we were having before we started recording, was um, to treat that the data for those subjects as if it were your own. So how would you want your own data to be treated and dealt with? Of course, you would want it to be secure. Of course, you wouldn't want it to be shared with every man and his dog. So if you treat each individual's data as you would want your own to be treated. Leah touched on the individual rights of the data subjects. So things like the right to be forgotten or erasure, the data portability, the right of access and rectification. So really the idea is that you should nominate a person within your business. For a lot of you that will be the director of the business, the owner of the business, and that person wouldn't necessarily be a data protection officer because your business might not be that big, um, but it is somebody who is responsible for data protection and who will handle all the data subject requests. So you need to have an understanding of GDPR, what the individual rights are, and have a process in place to enable you to promptly and accurately respond to any requests. Next thing we're recommending is that you can update your terms. Um, again, we have an updated clause available uh, for your terms of business with the client. And essentially this basically states that you're compliant under GDPR and that you understand your client will be fulfilling their obligations under GDPR. Again, if you want that adding in, please just drop us an email, give us a call. Then we're going to look at your website privacy and cookies policy. Uh, again, we have an updated template available. This is recruitment focused template, so it's specific for recruitment businesses um, and your websites because it's important that any visitors to your website understand what data you might obtain. So Leah made a really good point earlier that electronic identifiers are included and do fall under GDPR as personal data. So things like Google Analytics, where it's picking up IP addresses or where someone's accessing from, um, it's important that anybody who goes to a website understands what data you're pulling in from them. Particularly for a lot of you as well, where you have job adverts on your website and candidates are able to submit their CV or applications directly, then of course it's important that they understand what's going to happen to that data once they submit it. And then finally, have a review of your suppliers so for example we've um, reviewed the job boards um, big supplier for us and, and obviously for you guys again we'll link below some 
uh, fact sheets that they've provided us about how they're going to deal with GDPR. It's worth discussing with any suppliers that you use where personal data is shared between you, what their steps for compliance are and what processes they have in place to ensure they're meeting their obligations under GDPR. As with anything, if you want to talk it over with us, please feel free to give us a call, drop us an email, either Claire or I, free anytime. Just call into the office and we'll be able to give you advice on your particular situation. So I think we have a couple of questions that would I think would be interesting to ask Leah at this point. Okay. The first one I touched on was the, um, a lot of people are talking about candidate info, but the client information, are we right that really and truthfully, if it's out there, it's not personal data? So clients are companies yeah. primarily? Yeah. Yes. So personal data is only where an individual, a living individual can be identified. So a company would not fall under that. It's arguable whether an individual at a company falls under personal data. There's conflict in views, but a company as a whole, so clients and firms, organisations, would not fall under GDPR. So would, would one of our recruiters need to get consent before they email a client or before they, you know, bob at lemons? So if it's a speculative to somebody that they don't already work with, strictly speaking, yes, unless you're going to contact them through a means like LinkedIn or you know that they're specifically looking and you make that initial contact and then you ask after that initial contact if you can, or at that time, if you can add them to your database or whatever. If they are an ongoing client, then you don't need to rely on consent, you will be relying on performance of a contract. So, yes, to be able to because a lot of our clients do speculatively contact Mm -hmm. clients saying, Oh, I wonder if you're looking to hire anyone. We're a local recruitment agency and we can help you. So, what you're saying is that they can make that cold call, but anything coming out of that, they would technically speaking need to get consent to be put on a database as someone who can be approached again. Yeah, if they come straight back and say, yeah, we'd love to hear about it. Then you've you've got a contract for services there. So it's similar to when somebody fills in your contact us form on your website. You actually haven't entered into a contract, as in a formal contract. You haven't agreed to buy any goods from them or purchase any services from them. But the intention is there that they have given you their details so that you can contact them to get in touch. So the initial contact is fine. It's what you're going to do with it after that. If they don't come back to you and you want to add them to your database and then mail shot them every month or every time you get a CV, that's not going to be compliant. Well, that's very helpful, actually. The other other question that we get asked a lot about is, well, how long can I keep the data for? So I get somebody a job. I place them but I actually want to hold on to that data because I might in six months time or a year's time think "Ooh, I've got a another similar role I wonder if that person is free and I want really I would like to be able to contact them again is there a general 
stipulation that it has to be for as long as is necessary in the particular business that you're in or is there a well you really can't be keeping this for 10 years so it's up to you as an individual business or organization to justify it unless there's a legal obligation um so for example your accounts you're going to be keeping those for seven years I would recommend that you keep certain information in personnel files for at least six years, purely down to a breach of contract claim, if you ever needed that information. There's some information in a personnel file you may need for six years if a breach of contract claim is bought. For other things, obviously each business is different depending on what sector they work in, but if candidates have a natural life cycle of maybe 18 months, two years, three years, whatever that is, it may then be right for that business to say our retention period is going to be three years because naturally most of our clients have a two and a half year cycle so mm. we would like to get in touch with them it's for the the individual business to be able to justify that and if they're happy in being able to justify that then that's fine but as long as it's in their policy yeah and is that so just following on from that one of my clients has asked me is that for example say they said three years we think it's reasonable to keep the the um data for three years is that three years from the day that that person gives consent or is it three years from the point of the last communication so it would depend how it's worded in your policy i would always do it from um three years from either the last placement or the last contact with them yeah. because if you place them, say, two or three times, that could go back seven years, but actually you want it for three years on from the last placement. Mm. Yeah. So it's, it's just mm -hmm. about wording it so that it's as clear as possible. Okay. And then the only other element that we were going to touch on, I think, was this right to be forgotten. Sometimes, legitimately, a recruitment company will not want to deal with a certain candidate. They've you know done something bad with a particular client or they're generally unreliable um, can you keep that data until it's requested that it's removed that's the first question and if it is requested to be removed can you refuse on the basis of anything so can you keep it the first question is going to be exactly the same as your retention policy so if your retention policy is you're going to keep it for three years then you can keep it for three years if um, you are asked to remove it if it depends what you're holding if you are only holding that information for because they've given you consent to hold it for example for a mailing database or mail shots or whatever and they want it removed you remove it unless your in legitimate interests as an organization or a company override the interests as a data subject it's a tricky one to argue because you are saying that you as the data controller and as a company have more rights and your rights are more important than those as an individual um, you just have to justify that so um, if you can justify that by saying that it's your duty to your clients to be able to advise on that um, then 
that would be the basis for processing that you would rely upon. Okay, I think the final, final question, although I thought that was the final question, um, relates to penalties if everything goes wrong. So um, at the moment, there can be criminal sanctions if there's data theft or breach of security on data. What does the GDPR add to that? So the fines are going up, um, up to 20 million euros or 4% of your um, worldwide annual turnover. Um, warnings, reprimands and sanctions. I think initially for smaller businesses, depending on your breach, you're more than likely going to get a warning and an order. To, so if you do breach it and you haven't got a particular part of your policy, I think if you've got no policy at all or no privacy notice at all, you're in a, a lot worse position and they may go straight to a fine. If you are showing that you are trying to do something and you've just missed something off, then it may well be that you're going to get an order to do something within a certain time frame and then if you don't do it, you'll get a mm. fine. But as there's no precedent or case law out at the minute, it will remain to be seen. And it, are there sort of ICO spot checks or will this... Will any fines come about because somebody has complained? So it will be because people have complained, subject access requests, if you, if when somebody sends in a subject access request, either you don't deal with it or you deal with it and you've had information for a lot longer than you should have or information that you shouldn't still have. Um, if you have to report yourself, because there are certain instances, if there's a data breach, you have to report it within 72 hours possible spot checks I would say unlikely for smaller businesses but you never know I have one question sorry <laughs> final 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 <laughs> question um, so I suppose really this is specific to the recruiters that we would support there have been some recent cases which we touched on earlier under data protection act where recruiters who have uh, stolen data from their previous employers have been um, find or have a conviction brought against them. In your opinion, do you think that the GDPR will make that easier for ex-employers to pursue employees who breach data protection regulations, for example? I'm just thinking that you know, one of the things that a lot of people ask us when they come to talk to us about potentially setting up their own business, they're worried about restrictive covenants, of course they are. Do you think they should be equally as worried about GDPR and, and the potential implications if they do steal data? Yes, because the rights are only enhanced, but so are the individual rights. So not only would the company have a claim against them for breaching data protection, so would all of those data subjects that have had their data stolen. Yeah. So the company would have to make each individual aware that their data has been compromised because it has left where it was being securely stored. And ultimately, those data subjects are either going to have a claim against the company for not having the right security in place and allowing that 
individual to take that data and if they do claim against the company the company are going to want that money off of somebody <laughs> um, or against that individual that has taken the data and that is a completely new legal claim mm-hmm. which is an injury to feelings award for material and non-material damages I don't have any guidance on how much would be awarded mm-hmm. for that until case law comes out interesting oh gosh that is interesting so that's an added thing under the gdpr that the, the individual has the right to go after somebody who potentially has taken it yes so you've got the ico that can fine you yeah. but you can also bring a claim right. in the normal courts either in the place where you reside as an individual so i could bring a claim in the uk um in england and wales or in the place where the company resides that has breached because it is a eu wide so if the company is in germany or whatever right there's loads of questions i'm sure we'll have loads of questions from our clients but i guess for now yeah thank you very much leah thank you thank you